0: Together as believers, it's good to connect with each other. It's good to be able to encourage each other, get charged up for the week. But ultimately, we're gathering together to sing praises to our Father and to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit because of what He's done for us. And so, I'm glad that you're able to be here today. If you're a guest, uh, we don't ask you to do much. We just ask you the one thing we'd like you to do is look in your worship program. And there's a little card in there. And if you wouldn't mind telling us how you heard about us as a church, we believe that God's given us an incredible message. And we want to connect as many people as possible to Jesus for life change. And so if you can tell us how you heard about us, that helps us invite other people to church. And so if you wouldn't mind filling that card out. That would be great. And for the rest of you, you can always look in your worship program, check the emails you get throughout the week. We put stuff on Facebook, trying to get information to you as much as possible. We had a great day yesterday at Run to Reclaim. Um, For those of you who weren't able to be a part of that, whether it's volunteering or running or walking or whatever way, we'd invite you. We'll do it again next year. And uh, we had a great time yesterday. Uh, we had one guy that uh, decided to run. I've never seen this story before. He was jogging around on the parking lot for the race. Didn't know we were doing a 5k. Was waiting to get on uh, an airplane to go to Rome. That's where he was from, from Italy. And one of our uh, members of our church paid for him to come run the race. He got third place. Pretty cool. So he embarrassed us. But other than that, it was great. Uh, but I loved that our, our this is the way you guys are. You care about other people and want to connect other people to Jesus. And uh, we're trying to be kind and generous in that way. And so Um, If you weren't part of that yesterday, I invite you to come out next year, and we'll have a great time again next year, I'm sure. And maybe it'll snow, maybe it'll be 90. We don't know what'll happen, but uh, around this time next year, we'll do that 5K again. You look in the worship program and see some other stuff that's happening. We've got a party for our youth pastor today. Um, You can look at that. We'd love to have you come. The details are in the worship program. He is being sent out to go plant a church, and so be praying for our youth in this transition time. Be praying for him um, also as they go and they start a new work, um, and their mission statement is the same as ours. Connect people to Jesus for life change. So we're excited for them. What's going to happen in their lives, and then there's a, a few other things that are happening. You can look in the worship program for that. But Tuesday, I want you to know, is Veterans Day. And I believe I can speak on behalf of all of the members of our church. If you're a veteran, we just want to say thank you. We appreciate your service. Yeah. One of the reasons we can gather here today is because of what you've done. And so thank you very much for that. We love you and appreciate that. And then. Um, Today, what we're doing is we're getting back into a series. We took a break from last week. It was Orphan Sunday, but we're doing a series called Trending Now, and the Trending Now series is happening because back in September, we gave all the members of our church three-by-five cards and said, if you could ask God any question, what would you ask him? Or if your neighbor could ask God any question, what would you ask him? We've covered several topics so far. The first week and the second week, we talked about the same topic. If God is good, why does bad stuff happen? So we talked about suffering and difficulty and tragedy and trials and however you want to phrase that. But why does a good God allow bad things to happen? If you want to hear those messages, go back to the website. We talked about how can God love us? How can he love us? And so talked about that. It's on the website if you want to hear that. We also talked about besetting sin. Why is it that we keep going back to the same sense, whether it's anger or pride or lust or materialism or whatever it is? Many of us, we, we have a thing, we know what the thing is, and we keep doing it even though we don't want to do it. And why do we do that? And so we talked about that. In this series, uh, today we're talking about sexuality. I just want to give you a heads up. If you've got your kids in here, who didn't know that, uh, now would be a great time to exit if you'd like to take them out in the lobby. We've got bridge kids up till fifth grade, and uh, they would love to to be able to host your children, even if you're coming in right now. So I want to give you the heads up for that. You don't need to feel weird if you get up and stand up and walk out. Whether you in Theater 14, you're right here. Um, I want you to know that. We send that stuff out on Facebook, by the way, ahead of time, emails ahead of time. If you don't get that, if you don't read it, it's your fault. But if you, get the, uh, um, if you get, don't get the emails, check your spam box or make sure you sign up. You can use that connection card. I was mentioning for the guests to do that even right now and say that you want the, the e-newsletter. Um, but today we're talking to about Sexuality. This isn't the message on homosexuality. Some of you ask questions about homosexuality. Can you be gay and go to heaven? Um, How do we interact with a gay person? Is it sin? So we're going to talk about that. That's coming up. Today's message will be some foundational material for that, but we're not addressing that topic today. We're also going to be talking about marriage coming up in this series, very practical. We're going to be talking next week about God and science. In fact, our worship pastor, some of you didn't know, is Dr. Jed Walters. He's got a PhD, but not in worship. He's got a PhD in biochemical smart guy stuff. I can't even pronounce all of it, okay? So next week, some of you ask questions about God and science. And so he's uniquely gifted, unlike anyone else on our staff. He loves Jesus, can open the Bible, and uh, can talk about science as well. So he's going to be doing that message next week. I invite you to come for that. And then, uh, like I said, we're going to talk about homosexuality. We're going to talk about marriage today. We're going to talk about sexuality. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll open up the scriptures together. Let me pray. Father, thank you um, that we do get together in your name. Thank you that we can encourage one another. Thank you for giving us your word that speaks into very practical things, real things, Um, that we deal with on a daily basis that aren't about how to vote or aren't about how to think or aren't about how to have a conversation but are about people and about how to live. And I pray you'd speak into our hearts right now on how we live. I pray for those that need to be rebuked today, that you'd rebuke them. I pray for those that need to be restored today, that you'd restore them. I pray for those that need a higher view of something you've created. I pray you'd do that. God, I pray for joy um, in sex, for everyone that'll hear these words. I pray there might be some that never have sex, I pray they would know you can live a complete life like your son Jesus did without ever doing this. And Father, I pray you'd speak to our hearts through your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, there's certainly no debate about the fact that it's fall. The weather's changing. Football games are on. Whether you like those football games or not, is another question. Uh, My favorite team lost yesterday. I know the NC State fans are not super excited about what happened yesterday. But football's there. So you smell the grass cut. It's great. It's a great time of year. The leaves start changing. It's beautiful outside. And if you notice this, there's pumpkins everywhere. There's something about the fall where pumpkins just start appearing all over the place. Never in the spring, never in the summer, do you see Pumpkins. Have you ever seen someone do that beach picture where they're wearing all white and, and their family's got khaki pants on and everybody looks so pretty and then there's a pumpkin sitting in the middle of it? You just don't see that. Pumpkins come out now. They're at hay rides. Uh, people decorate with them on their front porches. It's in all kinds of food. And I don't know what you've put pumpkin in, but pumpkin can be put in all kinds of food. I did a little internet search and there's some weird stuff that people put pumpkin in. One of the things I saw was somebody put pumpkin in meatloaf. So it was pumpkin meatloaf with pumpkin sauce on it. And so we have a picture of that. Somebody else had, it was chicken liver and pumpkin ice cream. Yeah, it must be pureed in there somehow. It's pretty nasty. And it was actually for dogs, what the website said, but people can enjoy it too, <laughs> or not, uh, is kind of my thought. Um, and then there's a bunch of good stuff. So there's weird stuff, and some of you may put it in main courses. Any main course, it seems a little odd to me, but dessert seemed like a popular thing. Obviously, there's pumpkin pie and things along those lines, but I've got a few pictures here for you. One is fritters. We've got some sweet pumpkin fritters. That looks good. Some pumpkin brioche. I think is our next one we have on there. Uh, there's some uh, some really sweet ones. Pumpkin donuts. You can do in all kinds of different ways. We've got pumpkin spice donuts. Saw that one on there. There were some pumpkin cheesecake. I know we've got cheesecake fans in our church. Pumpkin cheesecake is good. My wife and I went out on my birthday date, which is in the fall. Thank you for not noticing. For those of you who didn't, and uh, second service sang to me uh, that day, which was embarrassing and weird. But anyway, it was great. Uh, my wife and I went on a date. We had pumpkin chest pie. I'd never heard of that before. I'm not even a dessert guy. It was awesome. My wife made uh, pumpkin glazed donuts. Now, I do like anything with glaze on it. She made those. They're gone. So if that says anything. They're, they're awesome. But like most people, we also decorate with pumpkins at our house. So we buy pumpkins, put them on the front porch. Trick-or-treaters come over, and they feel welcomed or whatever. I don't know. We, put them, I don't, just, we don't put any other food on our front porch. We do that. Put pumpkins out there. Something interesting happened this year, though. Our pumpkin melted. It was weird. I didn't know why. I don't know if it was the heat. I didn't know what was taking place. And then my wife said to me, Can you go get that pumpkin off the front porch? And so I'm the only male in our house, for those of you who don't know that. So I handle all things gross. And so I said, Yeah, yeah, I got it. And then I didn't go get it for like a couple days. And then I came home one day, I pulled in and it was on the front porch, and usually I kinda go in through the garage and so I thought, I gotta go get that pumpkin. I'll go up there, you know, they don't want it's icky, so they don't want to touch it, and so I'll just go up and I'll grab it, I'll throw it in the garbage. And I got up there and I realized I don't want to touch it either. It had bugs coming out of the side of it. There were gnats flying around all over the top of it. We've got yeah, There's the picture of it. That doesn't do justice how disgusting this thing was. I didn't want to touch it. So I went and got a snow shovel. Don't use those very often here. Went and got a snow shovel. I scooped it up. I didn't even want to put it in my garbage can. I took it out behind the house, dumped it out there, hoped some animals will eat it or something. It's di- it was disgusting. So that's the same thing that they use to make those cheesecakes and those donuts? And I asked myself the question, how can something... That's so good, go so bad. And the same is true with sex. Sex is what we're talking about today. The very fact that I say the term sex from this spot, standing up front at church, makes some people uncomfortable, which in and of itself should be a sign there's something wrong. Because this is something that God designed. He has a plan for it, and his plan actually includes more than just procreation. It includes pleasure. But we've gone so wrong that we talk about it everywhere else. In the mall, water cooler, in the cubicles, with our friends, even on the lobby of church. So you do you not know, It's just like uncomfortable, it's awkward if we talk about it here. Because like that pumpkin, it's gotten rotten. Let me give you some examples, some statistics uh, from our culture. Every second, $3,000 is spent on pornography. Every second, 28,258 internet users view pornography. 372 users intentionally type in adult search items into their search engines every second. There's billboards, advertisements, commercials, even banners at the mall to bombard us with sexual images. You watch movies, TV shows that glamorize sexual immorality, even sexual perversion and sexual relationships. Sexting is a new way to communicate. If you've never heard of that, ask a teenager. It's a new way that's happening regularly. Sex trafficking is a $58 billion industry worldwide. That's people being bought and sold, human beings being treated as objects, being bought and sold as sex objects. Criminal organizations are increasingly attracted to human trafficking because unlike drugs, you can sell a human more than once. The uh, U.S. State Department of Human Trafficking says this is one of the greatest human rights challenges of this century, both in the United States and around the world. Divorce is rampant. That's not news to the church, but here are some interesting statistics. The American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers reported the following as the most salient factors present in divorce. So we know divorce is happening all over the place. Here are some stats on divorce. 68% of divorces involve one party meeting a new lover over the internet. 56% involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. This is not a Christian stat, by the way. 33% involve excessive time spent speaking in chat rooms. In the study on college students, 64% of males 18% of females spend time online for Internet sex every week. The average age for exposure, the statistics are hard to gather because it's illegal at a certain age. Uh, I've seen ages as young as 8, but the normal stat that's out there is the average age of exposure to pornography is 11. And so if you think that your kids are too young to talk about this, you're probably wrong because they're finding out. According to Barna and the folks on the family research, No one is exempt. So here's some stats just on pastors. They estimate that as many as 50% of pastors' marriages will end in divorce. The really bad news is these numbers are better than the rest of society. Almost 40% of pastors admit that they've had an extramarital affair since beginning their ministry. Over 50% of pastors say they have visited a pornographic website on the Internet in the last year, 30% in the last month. It's hard to measure exactly what's happening with the consequences of sexual sin But we do know, for a fact, 130,000 children are murdered every day in abortion. It's 46 million a year. Guess what? It's rotten. What's happened is, we get airbrushed images and pictures of how wonderful this is, but we all know that what's happened with sexuality is it's gone bad. We've deviated from God's plan, from God's agenda, and now we have a problem. Some of you can testify that the greatest pain and regret and guilt and shame... And your life comes because of this topic, sex. So friends and family, loved ones, and I say loved ones, some of you, I don't know your name, but I pray for you, and I pray that God speaks into your life every week, and I pray that God will save you, and I pray that God will restore you, and I pray that he changes you. I hope that today's message will bring some healing for some. I pray it will bring rebuke for some, and I pray for some of you, it will give you a higher view of what God intended, because they were talking about God's agenda for sex, We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 5, if you have a copy of the scriptures. Proverbs chapter 5, in the middle of your Bible. Job's on Proverbs, some of the wisdom literature there. Um, Wisdom means skill for living. And we're going to be in Proverbs. There are a lot of passages we could look at to talk about sexuality. The Bible speaks about it quite a bit. Um, There are a lot of bad examples. There are a lot of examples that bring incredible pain rape, abuse, um, adultery, difficult things that take place. There are a list of things that say these are forbidden, you shouldn't do these things, flee these things, get rid of these things, don't lust, if you lust, you're even in lusting, it's the same as committing adultery. And, and, and all those kinds of passages we could look at. There are a bunch of passages that say great stuff about it too. Talk about the joy of it, use in its context. There are some erotic passages. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible that would be described as erotic. It's poetic in the way it's written, but you start to get the imagery and you start to think that's in the I don't know if I want my kids to read the Bible. It's called Song of Solomon. It's in there. We're looking at a passage of scripture today that covers both. It's a father speaking to his son. It's probably Solomon. And he's given the talk. It's really a conversation. It's not a one-time talk. And in this talk, he gives some warning. And the first six verses, I'll give you the outline right now. First six verses are, listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. The next verses, verses 7 through 14, are a warning. There's a cost involved. This can go really bad. Verses 15 through 19 are, this can be really good. Verses 20 through 23 say, now you have a decision to make. Warning, can go really good, now you have a decision. We'll read the first, a oh, little bit more than half of it together right now. Join me in Proverbs chapter 5, starting at verse 1, we'll read through verse 14. My son, a father speaking to his son, pay attention to my wisdom, listen well to my words of insight. I've got insights been given from God. We see that for Solomon in the Bible. He's got unique insights that would only be given by God. We also know he's got some incredible life experiences, good and terrible. He says that that you may maintain discretion. I want you to know this, and I want you to be able to share it with your kids. And your lips may preserve knowledge. And then he starts to share with them, verse 3. For the lips of an adulteress, some of your translations say a foreigner or a stranger. It's anyone that allures you to sex outside of marriage. So it can be an image on a screen, it can be a person in a cubicle. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. And her speech, and I just want to give this disclaimer right now too, this isn't saying that women are more alluring or more tempting or seductive than men. Sometimes it can be the man, but this is a father speaking to his son. So it could be vice versa if it was a mom speaking to her daughter. But here you've got this language. Her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she's as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, not just one anymore. Listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Or, verses 9 through 14 are basically consequences. Lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth. So there's physical uh, consequences there's perhaps financial consequences Let strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house at the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent you will say how I hated discipline how my heart's for correction regret I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors I've, I've come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly what was done in secret is now made public so here you have the talk a father speaking to his son he's giving him warnings here and you know what this is like this is an awkward moment I don't, I don't know if you've had it with your kids yet or if you've begun the conversation about sexuality or if you remember what it was like with your parents if you can remember that if you can remember what the conversation was like with your parents that's weird isn't it because all of a sudden they want to talk about something that's relevant it's the last thing you want to talk about it's probably the one thing they most need to talk to you about but it's the last thing you want to hear from them because you've already heard it from a bunch of other people at that point right you remember the talk with your parents I remember when I got picked up from track practice one time. Now, my parents weren't believers, by the way. Um, I got picked up from track practice in junior high, and the door opened, and there was a box of condoms sitting on the seat, and then I was told, don't get anyone pregnant. That was my counsel in this conversation. Not exactly setting someone up for winning, by the way. And I don't know if you remember what yours was like. Maybe it went bad. Maybe you didn't have it. Maybe it was incredibly awkward. Here we get a, a good example of it. And the talk ends up going here. There's an underlying idea of what God's already informed Solomon of. There's a passage that underlies all of this. And it's that God has a plan for sexuality, and you got to go according to His plan. Now I've heard people say before, God doesn't care who I sleep with. God doesn't care who's in my bed. He only cares who's in my heart. It's hmm. a great bumper sticker. Not true. Um, I've heard people say, Why does God get to have a say in this? Why does He care? or some people are even offended that he does get to have a say in this. Let me tell you something. He gets to have a say in it because he created it. And it's in the Bible. He has a patent on it. Okay? He created it, and he gets to decide how it's best used. If you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, what's underlying this passage is Genesis chapter 1. And you remember, God created and it was good, and he created and it was good, and there was a rhythm, there was a pattern, it was poetic there. He created this, it was good, he created that, it was good, he created this, it was good. You get to chapter 2, and you get into some details about the creation of male and female, and he says a statement, it's not good. Which is like the whole story comes to a halt. Whoa, 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 this, is, this gets your attention. What's not good? It's not good for man to be alone. He created all these animals, named all the animals, hadn't found a suitable helper. And so what ends up happening is God performs the first surgery ever, And he takes from puts Adam to sleep, takes his rib. Interesting that he doesn't take a bone from his head. He doesn't take a bone from his foot. He's not creating someone that's greater. He's not creating someone that's lesser. He's creating an equal. They'll walk through life side by side. It's an intimate relationship created for intimacy. Right after this happens, what you see next in Genesis is that God not only performs the first surgery, he now performs the first wedding as he marches Adam and Eve down the aisle with one another and he tells them there's a reason why this is happening. Genesis chapter 2. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And then a great verse that comes next. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. There's no shame in the marriage bed. That's a place where you'd be totally vulnerable. What is it that's taking place? That's marriage. God institutes marriage. He creates marriage at that point for a reason, it said at the beginning of that verse. And we'll talk more about that when we get to the marriage message. But the, the reason is to demonstrate his love, his faithful, one-of-a-kind love to one other person. And it was for a man and a woman. We see in the passage, God ordained it. He gets to pick. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father. Wait, who were Adam's mother and father? You ever thought about that? He didn't have one. This wasn't just for Adam. This is for the rest of us for all of time. He's setting up an institution here that he created. A marriage institution. And so you're going to cut off the relationship you have with your parents. It's going to be a totally new relationship. You're going to sever that. You're going to create a new family unit. And how does that happen? The two become one. He's talking about sexual intimacy. He created our bodies. They would fit together in a way that's very interesting. And we would enjoy it. it. Isn't God good? Because He does this as the consummation of the marriage. The two come together, and one in a certain context, in a marriage context. The problem is, what we want to do is pluck it out of the context and still enjoy the pleasure of it and think there's no consequences for it. The classic illustration of how this doesn't work is a fire in the fireplace. I don't know if you've heard this before or seen this or not, but some of you have fireplaces in your homes. They're a wonderful thing. If you get home today and it's not 70 degrees outside, it's 30 degrees outside, which who knows what will happen, turn the fireplace on, produces heat, warm your house up. That's great. Creates a mood, it looks nice. It, it can even help you apply the back half of this passage, just as an FYI. It's a great thing in the fireplace. But if you take that fire out of the fireplace, exact same substance, exact same things, exact same activity, and put it in the living room floor, light it up, best case scenario, you have a mess. You potentially ruin a home. You could cost someone their life. You could cause incredible damage and pain. Because it's outside of its context. In its context, it's amazing. Outside of its context, there are consequences. And that's the first part of what this father is saying to his son here. God created this. He created it for a context. You use it outside of the context, there's a cost. Sex, outside of its God-given context, comes at a cost. Sex, a great gift by God, created, designed for pleasure, is enjoyable, part of his creation, a beautiful thing that should be celebrated, not worshipped, celebrated, But used outside of its God-given context, which is a marriage relationship between one man and one woman, comes at a cost. For some of you, I don't even need to teach anymore. You know that part. Because your greatest pain, your greatest regret, comes from this very thing. It might be that you, you know, you gave, you weigh your virginity to somebody and you thought he was going to be the, he was going to be the one, so it was okay, it was just before a ceremony and, and then now he doesn't even talk to you. And there's regret. It might be something that was done to you by someone else. It's abuse. It's terrible. You know there's a cost. You're paying consequences for someone else's sin. And so this thing, sex incredibly powerful. And you don't need to be told there's a cost. For the rest of us, we need to listen to what this father has to say. Verses 1 and 2, he's telling his son, pay attention, listen up. The rest of us, we need to listen up. It says, For the lips of an adulteress, they drip honey. It's attractive. And her speech is smooth, smoother than oil. But in the end, or some of your translators say afterwards, she's as bitter as gall. Gall's incredibly bitter. Sharp is a double-edged sword. That's a lethal weapon. And it's interesting here. When he describes the adulteress, he doesn't talk about her physical attributes anywhere. We can assume she was physically attractive to this young man, but that's not what we're talking about. Instead, what's being talked about are words. Her words. That's intentional by this father, by the way. For the lips of an adulteress, they, drip, they make promises to you. So she understands you no different way than your wife does. She promises pleasure with no consequences. She promises. It's just one time. You're just looking. It's not that big of a deal, right? See, it's words that get us, because words have the idea of trust. Where will you place your trust? You remember the message on besetting sin? You know, we talked about it's ultimately sin has promises and God has promises, and we have to decide. Every decision is an issue of faith. Which one are we going to go to? Which one do we believe? And he's saying, don't believe the words of an adulteress. Don't believe anyone that's trying to allure you to use God's gift of sexuality outside of the context that God's given for sexuality. Because they're going to make promises. The promises will be alluring. You will be tempted. No one will ever know. Promise of anonymity. Promise of secrecy. There's freedom in this. We'll see later in this passage, this very passage, the very thing that promised freedom will be the thing that gives you bondage. We'll see later that it's the very thing that you thought was secrecy will be made known. There's pleasure in this. Oh, sin is enjoyable for a season. But be sure your sins will find you out. Know that it will happen. Either you'll confess it or you'll be exposed. God loves you too much to let you just hide it. There will be pain. So it promises pleasure. It gives you pain. It's like honey ends up like gall. It promises secrecy. It brings you shame. It promises freedom. It brings bondage. It's the father saying here, there's there's a cost. He goes on to describe the very cost in this woman's life. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. This is the way of the Old Testament speaking of hell. She gives no thought to the way of life. So not just her way of life, but just the way. How does life work? Her paths are crooked, and she knows it not. It's very interesting here. In verse 4, it said, there's an end. Afterwards, see, it sounds like, and it's good, and it's enjoyable. It's like even the garden. There were words that were used. Don't believe God's promises. Surely you won't die. But this fruit, it's, it's good to eat. Don't you see it? And you'll be like God. Sin's promise. And her problem was a faith issue. Rather than believing the promises of God, you'll die. She believes the promise of Satan. You'll be like God. And so she eats the fruit and doesn't think long-term that there's a consequence. She wasn't thinking about pain and childbirth. She wasn't thinking about sweat and frustration from work. She wasn't thinking about the difficulty and sin entering the world for all of us. See, the Proverbs are wisdom literature, though. Wisdom literature means this. It's not just that you know information, it's you know what to do with that information. It's a skill for living. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom books in the Bible are books like uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Those are books They give us a a skill for applying the very truths of God's word all throughout the rest of God's word in daily life. And here's what the Proverbs are great at doing. Reminding us there's an end. Because what what Satan wants to happen is you don't think about the end. Short-term thinking. Right here, right now, this feels good. No one will know. And here are these promises of pleasure. And here's this promise of freedom. And I really want to express myself. Why is God so mean? Why doesn't he want me to have fun? And so I'm going to do this thing. But the Proverbs say, but in the end, there is an end. Some translations say afterwards. There's always an afterwards. There's always the next day. There's always five years from then and ten years from then and eternity. And the Proverbs point us to that. In the end, this leads to death and one of the saddest parts for this woman is and she doesn't even realize it. She knows it not. said in verse 6. Here's the essence of what's being said here. There's a cost. You take what's not yours, you will lose what is. There is a cost. And the ultimate cost here is hell and death. But we don't think about that, do we? I was talking with a friend this week about his sexual sin. He got caught by his wife in sexual sin. And he shared with me how afterwards he thought about taking his life. Do you think that in the moment when he was deciding whether to do that or not, that death was even on the radar screen? No way. And one friend shared with me one time in the past. He said I could share this with our congregation. That he had a problem with pornography, and he convinced himself as long as I don't pay money for it, then I'm okay. He thought he wasn't paying for it. He i paying on the front end. There was a time when payment would come. There's what, Eve. Eve. She wasn't thinking about what about David. See, the problem is, is what we do is we think we're exempt. We either get short-term, we don't even think about it at all, or we think it doesn't apply to us. Like, I'm the exception. It won't happen to me. It'll work out well. Right run off in the sunset. There's a fairy tale. Everything will be good. What about David? David's supposed to be at war. He's on the rooftop of his palace. He lusts after Bathsheba. He gets warned even by a friend. That's someone else's wife. It's okay, bring her to me. They have sex. He tries to cover it up. Then he tries to cover it up some more. He gets so hardened by covering up his sin, he isn't even aware of his sin anymore. Somebody comes to him and says to him. A fake story. Hey, there's a guy, uh, he's got a bunch of lambs, and he's having some people over for food, and there's another guy down the street, and he's got a lamb, and he loves his, and he sings to it, and he he goes to sleep with it, and that's his his one lamb. And the rich guy takes the the poor guy's one lamb. And David becomes irate. He says, that guy should pay four times over what he took. And his friend says, you're the man. You're the guy in the story. This is what you did with Bathsheba. And it costs David dearly. He loses a child, immediate context. If you keep reading through the Bible, it basically cost him his kingdom. He loses all of his influence. He's still king, but his influence is gone. There's a cost. There's always a cost. Jesus talks about the cost. We think Jesus doesn't talk about these things, doesn't care about these things. He does. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, he says this, You've heard, that it, said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of the body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Here's what he's saying. The cost is hell. You may apply this. Wisdom literature. If you're not fighting lust, you're on your way to hell. The question is, are you like the woman in this passage? And she knows it not. I wonder if she'd say, no, 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 I prayed. Like one, there was a time back there, I pray, I'm good. we well, got that covered. Now I'm just going to do my thing. And she doesn't even know. And this father, he warns his son, there are costs. And that's what verses 9 through 14 were. Lest you give your best strength to others. There are physical costs, which can be diseases. It can be you wear yourself out your life. You just waste your life. Uh, less strangers, feast on your wealth, whether that's alimony, whether that's something, some other financial cost that takes place. At the end of your life, you'll groan. You're, you're going to be spent, and you know what you're going to say? If only I had lived this way. If only I had done it this way. I wish I hadn't. So that's what the whole rest of this is, regrets, how I hated discipline, how I spurned the teachings. My father's teaching that's teaching me right now. I wish I had obeyed my instructors. And then at the end it says, and they'll become known amongst the whole assembly. That's how you'll be known. Well, we'll know. This will be your reputation of who you are, and you thought you did it in secret. No one's ever going to know, and this is what's going to happen. There's a cost. And the cost is huge. Saxoicide in God's given context comes at a cost. So what do we do? Well, I skipped over a couple of verses. He gives the warning of what to do here. He says in verses seven and eight. Now then, my sons, listen to me, do not turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house stay away in the new testament says flee flee sexual immorality get away from it that matthew passage was hyperbole by the way in case you're thinking about applying that it's not cut your hand off God your eye out that doesn't fix the problem it's a hard issue we see that throughout the new testament he's saying do whatever it takes you do whatever you have to do to get away from sin you are not exempt the proverbs go on other places and say you put fire in your lap you burn yourself it's bad news you stay away I shared with you that you know, my parents didn't know Jesus growing up. We didn't really have a good conversation about sexuality. I came to Christ when I was 18 years old. And what God began to graciously do at that point in my life is to bring godly men into my life. I remember one time I was over at a friend's house and uh, we were hanging out as a friend from church and he had a godly dad and he started to have an incredibly awkward conversation with me. It was mostly awkward because his wife was standing right there. But he thought, at some reason, I don't know, prompted by the Spirit or whatever, uh, this guy, 18 years old, new to Christian deal, probably doesn't have anybody talking to him about this stuff. He says, Scott, you get in a compromising situation with a woman, what are you going to do? He was more graphic than that, and uh, that was why it was awkward in front of his wife, by the way, which still would be if you're thinking about doing this for one of your kids' friends. Um, I uh, I thought that I was going to impress him. Because I had only been a Christian for like five minutes, right? But I had uh somebody was teaching me Bible stuff, and I had memorized three verses. One of them happened to have to do with temptation. And so I quoted 1 Corinthians 10 13 to him. No temptation to seize you. I thought, this Christian dude, he's gonna be impressed, he'll leave me alone, he'll get this thing over with. No temptation to seize you, but it's common to man, God's faithful, he will not tempt you beyond what you can bear, he'll provide a way out from it. And he said to me, Joseph didn't know 1 Corinthians 10. I didn't know Joseph. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I mean, that's like Jesus' stepdad. Like, who's Joseph? And how did he not know this verse? Like, how, who are you talking about? And uh, he's talking about a guy from uh, Genesis chapter 39. You can go read about him. Who was given all these opportunities, all these privileges. The one thing was off limits. It was his boss's wife, Potiphar's wife. And uh, she keeps coming on to him. And she goes after him. And he doesn't quote 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Do you know what he does? He runs. Got every reason to come back. Left his coat. Probably could convince himself he'd get away with it. Perhaps was tempted. But he ran. Then that guy started to tell me his story. He had obviously shared with his wife before. How about running? How about getting out of there? So what do you do? You stay away from it. You flee. Well, what about if you didn't? What if you already are in it? Maybe you're doing it right now. Then you need to run too. You need to run to repentance. You need to be like the that prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 who does all the stuff that this world promises is going to bring us pleasure. And he wastes his dad's money on that, wild living and women and all the stuff that thought was going to bring up freedom and he realizes he's in total bondage and then he comes to the conclusion, I've got a father who loves me and he goes back to his father and then his father runs to him. And so some of you, you need to be restored today and I want to tell you, God does that. The gospel does that. Old things are made new and so you lost your virginity, he can give your virginity back. You, You need the shame and the guilt dealt with, he can give that back to you. More difficult is for some of you, somebody's done something to you And God can bring healing in that as well. It'll also mean running to the cross. It will involve forgiveness. Doesn't mean you let them get away with it. Doesn't mean what they did was okay. But you need healing. You need to forgive. And so it's running. Run from sin. Run to the cross. So we don't do this. That's bad news. Uh, That's not news for most of us that are in church. Sex outside of God-given context has a cost. We know that there's a cost. What we oftentimes don't do a good job of is talking about why. Why not? Just because bad, like bad stuff will happen to you. And that's a lot of times what we share, especially with our teenagers. Like, don't do this. Bad things are going to happen. It's bad. You'll hate it. Don't do it. Everybody, yeah, we like it, but don't do it. Okay, so it's just bad. Stop. And we make it sound so evil, and we never tell the why. I was thinking about this. I have a three-year-old daughter, and she, we were disciplining her the other day. I took a toy away from her, and she starts crying. And she's bawling, and we're like five minutes into this thing, and we can't even talk to her, and she's just crying. And finally I, I realized, you don't even know why we took the toy away. So I asked her, I said, Gracie, why did we take the toy away? She goes, because I'm crying. And I'm like, no, we want that to stop. Like, give her the toy back. And so we give her the toy back, and we're like, let's talk. Like, we want to talk now. And we didn't tell the why. Here's the why. Here's the why you don't do it out of the context, because what God's given is so incredibly good in the context. Yes, there's a cost outside of the context, That's like a side issue. It's because he wants you to enjoy it the way that he designed it to be enjoyed. And that's what the next part of this passage is about. There's pleasure in God's plan. There's a cost outside of the context, but there's pleasure in the plan. Look at verses 15 through 19, and all I have to do is read these verses, and this is why I had to give a disclaimer that your kids could leave. Not because of something I was going to say, but because of what God says. This is erotic. It's in poetic language, but when you start to think about what's being said here, you realize, whoa. Really? That's in the Bible? Look at what he says. He's talking to his son. He says, you drink water from your own cistern. Talking about his wife. Running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain, talking about the male reproductive part, may your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a delicate creature, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Here he starts off. You go through this imagery. And he starts off with this picture of a cistern. Now, it's hard for us to think about a cistern because we get you know, water from the refrigerator. For us to get like do work is if the crushed ice feature isn't working. Okay? Now, try and imagine a culture where it's arid and it's dry. A cistern it was an underground chamber of water. It's very rare to privately own your own, but you'd have a place where you could always go and get clean, refreshing, delicious water. In a place where you have to work for water, in a place where you have to fight to get water. And if you'd have your own? Think about the time, think about times when you've been the thirstiest in your whole life. Think about a time when you've really wanted a drink. My wife and I have been training for a marathon for the last four months, and uh, we're running next weekend is the plan to be able to do that. So we've gone through some runs. I've had a couple runs that have been terrible. We usually run a long run on a Saturday. Uh, One time, I ran out of water and realized just how fragile I am. Another time was rationing water, and uh, it was an 18-mile run. I was getting coming down towards the end, and in this deal, I am realizing I'm going to run out of water. I feel like I'm going to die, and if you'd have said something to me, I'd have probably wanted to kill you, Okay. So it's going really bad. In that, po- in that process, it's hot outside, I am fantasizing about water. I am thinking about tubs full of ice and water. Now the reason why we decided to do the marathons, because I knew I was out of shape, needed to get back into shape, and so I made a commitment at the beginning, I'm not going to drink Coke. I'm not going to drink a soda. I love Coke, I'm going to drink Coke through the training process. Now at the finish line, I hope somebody's standing there with a Coke, okay? Now when I was running one of those runs, if you could lust after a drink... I lusted after Coke. If you could drink a Coke in your mind, I did it. It was awful. I got home, I turned the hose on at my house, and I just was running, out, drinking it. I, didn't, I just wanted something to drink. Do you imagine being in that situation? Some of you have been in similar situations. And you have your own cistern. That's what's being said here to this. So you've got these desires, you've got these longings, and you've got a place to fulfill them. Your own, sister. notice it's singular. Your own cistern. One wife. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Delight your thirst. You're so thirsty, you quench your thirst here. The answer is not just no. It's bad. Let's never talk about it. And he says, should your springs overflow in the streets? Yes, those are reproductive juices overflow in the streets. Your streams of water in the public square. No, they don't belong out there. They belong here. Let them be yours alone, verse 17. May your fountain, and this is like the father transitions into a prayer. Where he's praying over his son. May your fountain be blessed. May you, my son, and your reproductive organs be blessed by your wife. And may you rejoice That's an interesting word. It means to appreciate, to encourage, to value to the point that you'd work on something. (laughs) So you actually work on this. This is work. Now, if you'd have told me that before I got married, like that sex would be work, I'd have thought, no, you just don't get to do it. Now you get to do it. And hopefully we get to do it a lot. Like, this isn't work. No, it's work. And I don't just mean performance. Uh, That too. But because what we're talking about here is a celebration of intimacy. And intimacy takes work. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, the one that you've been married to from the beginning. And you know what? She changes and she grows and she develops. And you keep learning about her. And you keep finding out what's going on in her heart. And you rejoice. You celebrate together with her, but you keep working on it. And it takes work. And that's why sometimes, you know, we talk about this and you just think, oh, all the married people, they have great sex and all that stuff. I read a story this week. <laughs> Uh, About This is so weird, because you think of the Puritans, and I always think of them as prudes, like real stiff and rigid. Uh, The Puritans, I read a story about a guy who actually got kicked out of his church because his wife went and said, he's not not having sex with me, he's not pursuing me. This is work. That's why some guys don't want to do it. I had uh, one friend, he came and spoke here, some of you may remember, his name was Tal Prince. Um, He spoke on sexual purity several years ago. Uh, His story, just to give you a nutshell of it, is that he was addicted uh, to sexual addictions, pornography, and lots of stuff for 24 years. God rescued him out of that, has transformed him. He's an expert now speaking into this topic for many people that are struggling with this. I remember when he was over at my house, him sharing with me, he said, Scott, studies have shown, if you give someone who's got sexual addictions, a willing married partner in one room waiting for them to come and have sex with them, and a computer screen in the other, They pick the computer screen 10 times out of 10 times. Every time. Do you know why? You know what the promise is? No work. This is work. You have to work at it. Married couples, it continues to be work. Because it's not just an activity. It's not just animalistic thing that takes place. This is the wife of your youth and you're celebrating an intimacy. And that takes work. It says here, may your breasts satisfy you always. That's not very poetic. You just know what it's saying. May you be ever captivated. That word for captivated means you're captured. i have been captivated by something It hooks you in. You're paying attention. Think about Adam in the garden. What happened with Adam? He's naming animals and giraffes and rhinoceroses and birds and all kinds of stuff. And then God makes woman. Great job, God. Like, you nailed it, man. God, sorry. What did he think? Like, this is way better than a rhino. Like, what went through his head at that point? Because remember, Adam's never seen another woman ever. No Cosmo magazines, no banners at the mall, none of the past experiences. Eve, we don't know what she looked like, but that was his definition of beauty. Men, that's what it's supposed to be. Your wife, whoever she is, tall, short, whatever, that is your definition of beauty. May you... Be ever captivated. Not comparing. It's not your neighbor's wife. It's may you be ever captivated by her. But notice it doesn't say her breasts, her body. May you be captivated, verse 19, by her love. It's an intimacy. We're celebrating an intimacy. It's good and it leads to pleasure and it should be enjoyed, but it is work. And it's work in the context of a love relationship. It should be fun. It should be frequent. You see in here you've got quality and you've got quantity. May her breasts, there's quality here, satisfy you always, continually. It's not one time, it's continually, repeatedly, all the time. And may you be captivated by her love as you celebrate these things. What God's given is a good gift. It should be celebrated. That is why we don't do it outside of the context because what he's got for you is so good. Now what if I'm single and I never get to do this? You're going to survive. In spite of what some boy may have said in high school, he's not going to die. Jesus never did this. Paul never did this. They seem to be whole people. But for those of you who are married, you can enjoy this, and you should enjoy this. It's not naughty. See, some of you are taught your whole life, no, 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 no. And then at the altar, all of a sudden, everybody knows you're going to, and you're supposed to just, you can't just flip a switch. You need to know the why. This is an enjoyable thing. It's a good thing. And then what happens is Solomon says, now you can to decide what you're going to do, son. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Verse 20 why embrace the bosom of another man's wife because every woman that you kiss that you're not married to that's somebody else's wife for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord you think it's in secret he knows everything he knows who's behind the keyboard he knows what's taking place and he examines all his paths the evil deeds of the wicked man they ensnare him the very thing that you're doing will be the thing that ensnares you because you need more and more of it or you've got to keep it a secret there's always that it traps you and it's like the more you do it the tighter the cords get the cords of the sin they hold him fast and he will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. So the question is, what will you do? Outside the context, there's a cost. In the context, leads to incredible pleasure. Now you have to decide, what will you do? I know at this point, some of us um, need to repent. Some of us need to have a higher view of sex. Some of us need to work. Some of you husbands, you, you need to go after your wife, keep pursuing her, like you did when you were dating her some of us we need to rest in in God keeping us in the place that we're at the stage that we're at in life at this point content in Him and so what we're going to do right now is we're going to go before the Lord Pastor Dad's going to play a little bit on his guitar and I'm going to begin to lead us in some prayer I'm going to give you a few moments to talk to the Lord I hope you have a high view of sexuality it's not just naughty oh but it comes with a cost outside of the context but made for your pleasure let's pray Father, we come to you and thankfully we can all come to you regardless of our stories, regardless of our situation, regardless of our current circumstances. We can all come to you because you have a throne of grace. I pray for those who need to come to you for forgiveness. I pray for those who are currently right now in bondage. We know the stats would clearly say that's a lot of people. And I pray, God, that you'd bring restoration I pray that right now would be a time even more people would turn to you in repentance and that you, like the Father in that prodigal story, run to them, wrap your arms around them, restore them. I pray if there are any here that need to begin a relationship with you, they have been on this path to hell and maybe you woke them up in some way during this message, that you would have to begin a relationship with you. You speak to them. I pray for married couples that you'd bring a great relationship with you. I pray you to spark some great conversations. as I that could potentially feel frustrated. I pray that you'd bring contentment. Father, I pray for those that have been hurt or wounded that might even be angry.